So, good morning. It's great to be with you. Uh, my name is Blake. I have four daughters, like he said, uh, 13, 15, 17, 19. This is the only year I have all teenagers at my house, and so there's lots of unnecessary drama at my home. Uh, everything is pink and purple. We love Taylor Swift, and we also love Channing Tatum. He, he is beautiful. Come on, guys. So, um, uh, at my house, we have a blast. I have a smoking hot wife. And, uh, man, we, we uh, have had a great time this week, and we have talked about the word tetelestai. And that is a Greek word that means it is finished. And we've talked about how um, in, in our past, before Christ, uh, was, was all this sin and darkness that was before Jesus came. And then the cross happened, and then uh, that, that was when Jesus was on this cross, and he said the word tetelestai. It's a Greek word, and it means it is finished. And so everything, all the sins from A.D., uh, after the death of Christ, all the sins after Jesus and all the sins before Jesus, came and clung to him on the cross during that one moment when he looked to God and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he, he says this one word, which means a whole lot of different things. It means uh, it, it is finished. And it, it means a whole lot of different terms. A judge would have said, you're pardoned, you're, you're, you can go. Uh, an artist, when he says his final stroke of the brush, uh, uh, once he's done painting, he says, tetelestai. And so it's a way to say it's paid in full. It's completely done. Everything that needed to happen happened right there on the cross. And that was the crux of human history. Uh, our timeline says that. And because Jesus was willing to say the work is finished, my blood was the final substantiation. I think that's the wrong word, but it sounded really smart. And so um, that, that, that my blood was when I'm the blood of the lamb, the unblemished, perfect sacrifice for your sins. And now because of that, you have a place in heaven and you are set free. You are set free. You are set free from your, for your bondage and your sin and your death. And so we have celebrated Jesus this weekend, and man, we have had a lot of kids give their life to Christ. God has moved powerfully, and uh, if you don't mind, because of what's happened in this room with these students, I just want you guys to give God a hand for the way that he's moving in their lives and give them some appreciation. And I'm super fired up for the decisions that you made. Amazing. So I want you to do me a favor. Turn to the person beside you, and I want you to say this, say, you are extraordinary. Go ahead, say that. And now, 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 I want you to also say, say this. And, and you're also a little bit ordinary. Say that. You're a little bit ordinary. Okay. Awesome. Some of you are a little too passionate in telling the person beside you you're ordinary. So um, we're studying two passages today. I'm going to weave in between the two. It's Matthew chapter 8 and Hebrews 11. And we're going to be talking about faith. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and go to Matthew chapter 8. It's one of my all-time favorite scriptures. And so I'm going to dive in. All right, here we go. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, save us, Lord, we're perishing. Now, these dudes, they'd grown up on the sea. They, they had felt the wind. They'd felt waves on their face. They had experienced lightning rip across the sky. They felt thunder shake the boat. They felt the boat just out of control in storm. But this one, man, it must have been a doozy. Because they thought, man, this is it. It's over. 
we're going to perish. And so they go downstairs, they shake their Lord, and they're like, Jesus, here's the deal. I know that you're sort of like in control of all things, and you're the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Great I am, la, la, la. But here's the deal. You're going to die. Okay, this we're going to perish. I just need you to know that. I know you sustain all things and hold them together, but hey, unfortunate for you, you're going to die. So this one, man, they somehow... It must have really shook them. They were fearful. It says that they were being swamped by the waves. So this one was like one that they were like, man, I don't know if we're going to pull through. Okay. Well, Webster says this about faith. He says it's the complete trust or confidence in something or someone. That's what Webster says about faith. Complete trust or confidence in something or someone. Have you ever met somebody that said, man, I don't trust nobody and never have and never will. And trust nothing. Well, when they said that, they were lying. Because uh, they were probably eating a burger that they did not make. <laughs> they have no idea what was in it, right? Or they were getting on an airplane, and, and they were trusting the, the pilot and the airline. But whatever. So, so even atheists, if you think about it, they actually have more faith than me, I think. They say, uh, this all came from nothing. Where we say, it was all created by someone. That faith, man, real faith, to say we came from nothing, right? So faith. I want you to say this. Say, by faith, we see the invisible. So you guys might believe that this is a great chair. You might go, yeah, man, it looks strong. Made of metal and fine steel or whatever, and it's got some fine cloth, and I think it would work. And intellectually, you might go, yeah, I believe in my mind that that would hold me. But until you allow your belief to go from your head to your heart, then you never commit and trust completely in it, right? You don't sit down. And so faith, it, it's for Christians, for believers, uh, we say believing is seeing. But the world says that seeing is believing, right? You have to see it to believe it. It's not real. But we say believing is seeing. We say there's heaven. And we believe that. But we can't see it, right? Jesus died on the cross. We didn't see that. We believe it, though. Right? You guys tracking? So Hebrews 11 is probably the best working definition in the Bible of faith. And it says this. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. The writer brilliantly describes faith as the assurance of things that are hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. By faith, we see the invisible. And so it brings me back to this idea that you know, f f words that are invisible are really the building blocks of our faith. In fact, if I say the word trust, it's completely invisible. Love, invisible. Hope, invisible. Faith, invisible. But they're the most important words that we have. In fact, we exchange them all day with one another. I'll give you a little love, and I'm hoping you'll exchange it back with me, right? I'll give you a little trust, and I'm hoping you'll give it back to me. It's the finest commodity of exchange in every single relationship, whether it's politics business, church, and especially in marriage, we exchange these invisible words that are the building blocks of our relationships. I think followers of God should be the very best at exchanging these. We should lead the front 
in teaching the world what it looks like to exchange them. Hebrews 11 is very important because it's the men and women of faith that came before us that show us how to do it. There are men from the past that say, hey, we're from the Hall of Fame, the great cloud of witnesses that came before you and teaching you how to fight the good fight, right? They're the ones that had one, one thing in common, and that's that they all believed that if God is for us, then who can stand against us? By faith, they did extraordinary things, even though they all came from humble beginnings, and they were very ordinary people. It was commended to these people that they found their approval from God because of their faith. See, faith, it's active. It's a participation sport. If you believe, then you, you should want to respond to God out of love and obedience, right? Uh, James said it like this. Uh, faith without works, it's what? It's dead. And so faith is like action. If I say to my daughter, I love you so much, she says, Dad, I love you too. And then I say, oh, great, that's good. Would you go clean your room? And then she says, no. I'm going to be like, oh, what's that? You said about loving me, right? I don't want to drop laws and rules to make her have to do something. I want her to do it because she loves me, right? See, what love compels of us, the law could never demand of us. Say, preach, Pastor Blake, that's good right there. What love compels of us, the law could never demand of us. So, yeah, he told a little bit of my story. Well, I've been in vocational church work for 18 years. And now I speak and travel 35 weekends last year out of 52. So a lot of, a lot of traveling at camps and retreats and conferences and this kind of thing. And I also run a company. And, and this company's uh, in my backyard on five acres. And I love on guys. And I teach them trades. And we hire homeless and addicts. And it's really a cool company. It's like a little church in my backyard every day with 10 guys. And um, then we take on a lot of other people that are friends that will work for us for a little while. But then we put these trade schools in in Africa, in Costa Rica in May. This coming July, I'm putting one in Uganda uh, with a church here in town called River Point Church. And I also uh, am doing the one in the Dominican Republic. And I, I didn't plan on that one, but I'm real good friends with Brooke and Jeff Rogers and some of the guys at Go Ministries because I've been serving there for about the past six years. And so, man, uh, I was talking to Brooke, and he's like, hey, we're going to build this really cool sports complex, and it's like a $2 million massive thing, it's, and the kids are going to come, and they're going to learn how to play baseball, because baseball's like it in the Dominican Republic. Everybody wants to learn that. And he said, but in order for them to go through my baseball program, they're going to have to go through a trade school, so they'll have a trade when they're done. And so we need you, Blake, to put in a wood shop and a metal shop. And I was like, dang it, well, how, 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 what kind, and what are we talking about? And, you know, it was going to be very expensive. And I, I started praying, like, how, how are we going to do this? And so we were trying to raise support just by selling furniture. And it's, it's hard. It's daunting. It's like over $25,000. And I'm just going, God, you're going to have to do this. But 10 people are going with us, nine. We need one more. So if you want to go, you need to sign up today and give me $1,000. So uh, <laughs> we, we'd, love, we'd love to take you March 12th through the 19th. Uh, and so, man, it's going to be a super exciting thing. But I, when you step out in faith to do something, it's always messy. And to figure it out, it's always like there's risk, right? And, and when you go to say, God, I, I'm going to do something, I, I believe there's a fine line between casting vision and, and telling a lie. 
There is a fine line between casting vision and telling a lie. You can say, ah, man, we're going to go repurpose people and reclaim lives. And what does that mean and how? You know, I don't understand. I don't have all the details, right? But I trust that God's going to figure it out. And I, I, I've believed and I've stepped out in faith. And now I've gotten to put these in four years. We've done all those wood chops. And it's amazing to hear the stories of children that will, like, send me a video. And, like, Pastor Blake, we have made this beautiful stool. And we took it to the uh, trade and we sold it. And now we've made money for the orphanage. And it is beautiful. Thank you so much. And it's like, wow, it's so cool. And so getting a chance to see kids use their gifts and their abilities for the King of Kings is, like, this amazing amazing thing. And so we are going to leave a lasting legacy in the DR this March, and I'm scared to death because I don't know how all the details are going to work out. But what love compels of us, the law could never demand of us, right? It might require sacrifice, but that's okay. And so I don't know if you've experienced a time in your life when God's asked you to do something good and you've heard him, you're like, I don't know, I want to, but ah, ah. See, Hebrews 11, it shows us what it looks like to have faith in overalls. <laughs> it's like how to wear your faith, how to live it out, how to be a man of faith. See, how, how you endure and fight the good fight. But when, when they were in it, understand, when these great men and women of old were in the middle of that, their lives are, were as crazy and as fractured as ours, as chaotic, as stress-filled, and as broken as all of us. Because what I experience here on earth is, is abandonment. I feel desperately alone and utter despair. I see darkness feeling like it's winning. I see hatred and anger and bitterness and slander and jealousy and war and rumors of war and all, all these things that I just like, gosh, how, how am I supposed to fix this, God? I see devastated marriages. I see people that are barely educated about who God is and this enormous lack of morality and very few people that are standing up to fight for justice and, and show people what it looks like to speak truth and to display and ex exemplify love. I, I see men who place their identities in their career and they forget to actually pursue the hearts of their children and their wives. In Africa, I saw a child that was starving and digging through dirt and trying to find food and he he was crying he was so hungry and I just s sobbed and I couldn't sit there and turn a, a, a blank face and just not do anything I couldn't just be all right with that I can't allow myself to settle for what I see because what I see is broken and I'm done turning a blind eye and shrugging my shoulders and allowing people to live without hope there's so much work to get done and it is so dark down here. Most of what I see is just confusing. It's just anger and sexual immorality. And frankly, most of what happens here just doesn't make sense. It's chaos. And many of us today, we see the work, and it's mighty. It's exhausting. It's so much easier to remain cynical and apathetic and to be okay with the darkness inside of us and around us. It's easy for a lot of us to look at the great heroes of our faith and go, oh, well, those dudes back then, I mean, they were great. I'm not. And I could never do that. They're so much better than me, and hey, I know the Bible and stuff. But when I actually look at the list of these heroes, and I think of their lives and what they did, they weren't a whole lot different than us. Moses, that guy murdered a dude. Joshua, he... he 
Well, I don't know what Joshua did. Joseph? <laughs> I, d- I, d- I do. I just forgot. So Joseph, Joseph, he had dysfunctional brothers. I mean, he, had, he threw, was thrown in the pit and forgotten about it. Talk about a jacked up family. Samson, he was sleeping with a girl across town who was a Philistine. That, that's a bad dude. Rahab, she was a prostitute. Like, I look at the, these are the people that are in that list of heroes. I'm like, oh, I, I can roll with those jokers. I get that. It's encouraging to me to know that, that God's list of the greatest heroes of our faith are made of the same stuff as you and I. Common folks did amazing things because of their ludicrous trust in God. If you guys need to get rowdy and shout an amen after this next statement, you, you, you can I give you permission. We serve a God who loves to use ordinary shepherds, unschooled fishermen, common carpenters, and a bunch of nobodies who will love everybody, serve anybody, and don't care about becoming a somebody. Yeah. <laughs> there you, go. you did good for white Methodists. <laughs> I'm just kidding. One time I um, took, took my daughter's I mean, I'm just going to stop. So uh, we, went, we went fishing, and we went to Colorado. And, uh, man, it was an amazing trip. And I, I was, like, never taking them fishing. We went to a place called Lake Dillon. It's one of my favorite places in the world, uh, just outside of Frisco and Breckenridge, beautiful place. And so my daughter Mariah wants to learn how to fish, and she's a very beautiful girl that can sing well but really clumsy with her hands. She sports, just not her thing. Uh, Lord bless her. Uh, and so uh, she was trying to learn, and she kept casting, and it's like, bloop, falling down, and the, you know, it was going to the side, and she, we said, no, no, do it over your head, and we had shown her, and I was showing her, and then my wife uh, apparently wanted to sh- prove her abilities, and she's like, give me the rod. She's like, let me show you, and so with all of her might, she's out to prove something to me, how powerful she is, and she's like, she is powerful. I'm scared of her, but she's five foot two. And so she takes the rod and she's like, Whoa, as hard as she can. Well, right then, my sweet little daughter walks behind her mother. And I, I want to show you what my wife did to my daughter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, me being the great father that I am, I'm like, honey, I'm so sorry. I need you to stand still so I can take a picture. <laughs> and then, and then. I said, now I need you to turn to the side. Let me get another one. And there's the side shot, yeah. And so I'm like, oh, my gosh, what are you going to do? I've never done this before. And my wife's like, well, you're going to call the doctor. I'm like, okay. So I call the doctor. I'm like, hey, doc, i got to tell you what my wife did to my daughter. <laughs> and, and I'm explaining, like, yeah, it's in her forehead, and I don't know what to do. And he said, well, you can't pull it out. Because the barb will rip her forehead. And I'm like, oh, so what do I do? You just pop it through and then cut the barb off. I'm like, okay, thank you. And I hang up, and my wife's like, what are you going to do? I was like, uh, Mariah's going to die. And so uh, I don't know how to do this. And so I, we take her to the truck. I lay her down, and I'm like, honey, you need to hold her hands for what you did. And so she's holding her hands, and I take the barb, and I push it through, and I it kind of pops through, and then I take the snips, and I cut it off and pull it out, and then I took some little iodine, and I put it on her forehead, and I have a picture of her with two holes in her forehead. So she was perfectly fine. Uh, she's go- going to counseling, and she's going to work out. So, um, so I, I, I like, 
I like, man, I, I've met people in life that have been through like a horrible tragedy, like a train wreck or a massive storm, and they're just different afterwards. Have you ever met someone like that? Their countenance changes because of the divorce or they lost someone that they loved or they were destroyed in a job that they had and lost everything they had financially or all of these train wrecks that we have and these massive storms come. And sometimes it's really easy to allow the foundation of your faith to be shook because of a massive storm that hits your life. See, have you, this scripture, when it, when it says this, it says, without warning, a furious storm came upon the lake. And these were the disciples of Jesus, man. They had been with him for like three years. Some of you in this room are like, man, I've got like, Two decades on the disciples. I've been with Jesus a lot longer than those guys. They'd only been with them three years. Like, what? I, I've been with Jesus my whole life, and yet a storm hits, and it's easy for us to do exactly what the disciples did and to go, ah, man, it's not going to happen this time. We're going to die in anxiety, fear, stress, all these things, like, take over, and you're not able to, like, really believe. See, some of you are here today going, man, I'm trying to place my trust in Jesus. I'm trying to believe and place confidence in him, but I'm lost right now in a struggle. And maybe for you, for you today, you're here right now, and it's really hard, and you're battling and grappling, and it's just really dark. See, Faith that's never put to the test, it's just a theory, it's theoretical. Faith that's not really given a chance to actually use its wings to fly, it's not really faith. Maybe for you right now, you really want to believe, and you want to go, man, I, I think it would work, and I... I want to trust God with this circumstance, but it's too big. And if you really knew what was going on, you'd understand that I'm having a hard time just going, okay, God, I'm going to just put my feet back and I'm going to trust in you. I can kind of just see Jesus. He's down below underneath the boat. And sound asleep. And they come down and there's this massive anxiety and stress. And Jesus. And he kind of comes to and blinking his eyes and rubs boogers out of his eyes. He has bad breath because he just woke up. I was like, what? What? You're going to die. Massive storm. You, boy, why are you sleeping? What are you doing? Right? And so it says in the Bible, Jesus stands up. I, I love this passage. <laughs> it says, why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith. And then he rose and he rebuked the storm. Talked to the clouds and the wind the clouds dissipate, the waves. It says, and the sea, he rebuked the winds and the sea, 
and there was great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of a man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? I think sometimes that God allows the storm to come to remind us of who's really in charge, to remind us that our God is sovereign, that he's in control, he's not fearful, he's not frantically pacing heaven. Well, what are we going to do? In fact, when God steps onto the scene of your life and you allow him to come and place your complete confidence in him, he brings great calm. For many of you today, you need to hear that. You're lost in this storm and you're overwhelmed. And you're scared and you're trying to pull your britches up and saying, I can handle it. I'll handle it. When what you maybe need to do is say, I can't handle it. I don't have this. It's bigger than me. And I trust in my Savior, Jesus. You don't need another book. You don't need another conference. You don't need anything other than Jesus himself because Jesus Christ is our Savior. He has made a way to bring you out of the storm safely. And if you'll allow him, he'll bring great calm into your life. Can I hear an amen? amen. See, these guys that we talk about, when they were in the middle of it, it was messy and ugly. They were trying to do something for God. They were listening, thinking they were stepping out in faith. But I've learned something about faith. I don't care if it's Billy Graham. I don't care if it's Eric or Blake Bergstrom. You're usually about 75% confident that you're supposed to do this thing. And God leaves 25% of like, I think I'm supposed to. I'm going to go out in faith. Abraham leaves. We're going to go. But where? I don't, I'm not sure. We're just going this way, right? How the details work out, which is usually really messy, at least that's my experience. There are moments when God says, go to Macedonia, and he speaks very clearly, and it's a clear vision. But even in that, like, okay, I'll go to Macedonia, but where am I? Who? Right? And so I think sometimes following God, he loves to leave that little bit of uncertainty for us to go, I'm not sure, but I'm going to walk out in faith. See, Abraham... He was asked to demonstrate his faith by murdering his only son. You talk about outrageous. It seems stupid. A young shepherd boy was asked to go out into a field and fight some giants with three little rocks. It's going to be fine. Three Hebrew boys were told, hey, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, get into the fire. It's going to work out. It'll, it'll be fine, right? He told Joshua, oh, I just remember what Joshua did. He told Joshua, hey, listen, take your little horn and walk around the city. And, and you know what? Just take your little th and blow it and just trust me. That's how you're going to fight this battle. It's going to be great, right? He, he told Moses, hey, walk out into the water and just bring your stick with you. It's going to work out. Just take the little rod you have and stick it in the water. He had no idea. He had no idea that the ocean was going to part. Daniel had no idea that the lion's mouths were going to be shut and there was nothing that was going to happen. Joshua had no clue. With those walls, oh, boo. That was sick. That was so awesome, right? He had, these guys, they stepped out in faith going, God, it seems like outrageous, ridiculous stupidity. But they had one thing in common, and that is that they believed. 
They believed. With all their heart, they placed their confident trust and assurance in the Almighty God, knowing that if God is for me, then you better get out of the way. Who can stand against me? Common folks who did amazing things. Ordinary and yet extraordinary. And that can be you as well. There's no reason that God can't use you through his spirit to do mighty things for his kingdom in these last days. Will you pray with me? Father God, we repent of the times that we don't believe, that we don't place our trust in you, that we are frantically stressed out to the max. We don't know how we're going to pay the bills. We don't know how we're going to raise our children to become like you. We don't know how our friends are going to deal with the addictions. We don't understand all of these massive questions and doubts that we have, God. And yet, yet, God, we repent of the times that we don't just allow you to come in and bring great calm in our lives. Father, we want to do extraordinary things by the power of your Spirit. There is so much darkness down, down here and so much sin and hatred and anger and all kinds of impurity. And it just feels so daunting to try and speak truth and to fight for justice. But God, I pray that you would help us be a bright light in these last days. That you would allow us to be a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. You tell us, God, that you... You are the light of the world. You, you tell us, God, you are the salt of the earth, and yet we walk around very dim because we don't really believe that. We, we are not tasty at all. We're dull. And I pray, God, that we would recognize that all we really have is intimacy with you, that the only thing on this earth is to know God and to make him known, to love you and to love your people. So, God, help us to live that out with boldness. I pray, Father, you would help us to walk in faith to do extraordinary things for your kingdom. God, we love you with all of our heart. It's in your name we pray. Amen.